You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. That was great. I'm so proud of you guys. You're getting it. The series is clicking with you. Great job. It's so good to be here with you today. Welcome everybody watching live online right now. I think in my own family might be at home watching live right now. It's really good to see you guys. Everybody watching all over the world or even later this week. We just want to welcome you. I've been in Peru all week. I got home and fell asleep around 1 a.m. last night, but I feel great. And I just say thank you to my team who did all the work while I just got to sit around in hospitals with people who got sick on my team. It was wonderful. It was amazing. All the hard work you guys did. In all seriousness, it's really good to be back with you today. Didn't Brett Cadwell do a fantastic job last week? Amen. So, <coughs> excuse me, we're wrapping up this series. We're on our last Sunday on the series, Core. So I literally spent about four hours a few weeks ago studying apples for a sermon illustration that went nowhere. 20 minutes into my Peru trip, I uh, literally showed up finally at the home where, you know, all this time in the airport, and one of my missionary friends is there to greet us. He's telling us that they're planting apple trees. And I said, oh man, I just did a bunch of research on apples. It didn't go anywhere, but what did you learn? And in five minutes, he told me more than I learned on Google. So apparently Google doesn't know everything. I just learned some fascinating things about apples. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you were to take this apple and to cut it in half and to pull out the seeds, plastic knives, right? Not the way to cut open an apple. That this little seed right here will not necessarily produce what you thought it would produce. Did you know that? Some of you are like, well, yeah, everybody knows that. Well, not everybody, okay. <laughs> Did you know that if you literally grab the seed and pop it in the ground, you will not know until it starts to f- come about exactly which kind of tree you're going to get? But I do know this. You know what you're not going to get from this? An orange. <laughs> All right? Google didn't have to tell me that much. I knew that. You're not going to get a raspberry. You're not going to get a grape. Every time you're going to get an apple tree, it's just you don't know which kind of apple tree you're going to get. Now, there are certain apples, I guess, or like one or two kinds of apples that produce the exact same kind. But the vast majority of apples we have today produce random kinds. So inside each of these apples is a different type of tree. Did you know Jesus actually says this? You will know a tree by its fruit. What does he mean? Well, part of what Jesus means is simply this. What you plant in the ground is what you'll get. You're going to get an apple tree when you plant an apple. You're going to get an orange tree when you plant an orange. You're going to get a watermelon tree when you... You don't think that would work? So here's a question for you. If God were to look at the fruit of your life, what would it look like? Would it, would, it look, would it look, look, look like Jesus Christ? I get it. Those of you visiting with us today or maybe even visiting for a while, and, you know, something about what's been said or shared has touched your heart, and you're not sure where it's going yet. You're asking questions, you're pursuing, but you're not there yet. And I get it. I totally get it. So for you, you can just kind of take that question and put it aside. But if you're watching online or if you're sitting here in the room and you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, at some point or another, you gave your life to him. You joined him perhaps even in baptism. That question is very, very, very valid. Because Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. 
So if Jesus has planted the apple seed of his life in you, can you say today your life looks like his life? Are you kind in the way he's kind? Are you celebratory in the ways he's celebratory? Are you living in community with others the way that, that Jesus lived in community with others? Are you compassionate where Jesus is compassionate? Because our mission as a church, if you get nothing out of this series, out of today, get this. Our purpose is simply and only to become like Christ. Now, the ways that we do that, the ministries we launch, the things that we have put together, those may change over time. However, the mission, the purpose is still the same, to become more like Christ. So what I want to do today is just talk a little bit about what we've done to make that happen and what we're doing. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. He says this. He's approached by a guy, and he, he, he's asked this question. Jesus, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Of all of these laws, you know, it's kind of hard. It's like when you read John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws. You're like, okay, but which one do I really have to do? Well, here's what this guy's doing. Jesus, of all the laws, which one, which one do I really, really, really have to do? And Jesus says this, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The most important one answers Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your, say it with me, heart. And with all your, say it with me, soul. And with all your, say it with me, mind. And with all your strength. Now, the whole point of what Jesus is trying to get to is this. If he's going to boil down the Christian life into one sentence, one idea, it's right here. It's love. And to love God above all else. Now, why is it important that we know that God is one? Because in the day where Jesus is walking the earth in ancient Palestine, they are surrounded by oppression from the Romans. Outside of that, you've got some of the Greeks that are left. You've got some of these other foreign nations. But the Romans are the major powerhouse. And they have a pantheon of gods. And even Caesar himself is worshipped as God. And Jesus wants to lay this down. There are many philosophies and many ideas about God and who he is and what he's like. Many people worship many kinds of statues or their jobs or their families or success or money or power or sports and on all of those concepts and ideas and things in the world there's only one God yesterday we're riding in a taxi we had a six-hour layover uh, in Miami before we came back to Indianapolis and so some of us uh, bold types went let's just go to the beach I mean it's six hours right how hard could it be there's no way you could get stuck in traffic and almost miss your flight and have to have Brett preach again right that can't happen so we went to the beach, and we're in the taxi, and, and uh, Kathy Perry went with us on the trip. She's been here forever. What a saint, godly woman. And she's trying to talk to this taxi driver about Jesus, and, and they're doing this a little bit. And I'm like, I'm too tired to get engaged. You're doing great, Kathy. Keep going. And, uh, but he wants her to know beyond all questions what he believes about God in the world. And you know what this is like. Some of you are visiting with us today. You've got some strong opinions about God. Jesus wants to try to erase all those opinions for a second and started this one thing. Above all, above all, God is the most important. And the only way to know with absolute certainty that God is the most important is really ask yourself this question. Do I love God? This is why we say our highest value as a church is celebration. It's because of God that our lives have been changed. While we were lost, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ came to redeem us. While we were literally enemies of God, he pursued us to make us his friend. So we gather together weekly just to say thank you, 
God for all that you did. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. And thank you, God, for all that you're doing. And as best as we can on Facebook and in writing and in sermons and in services and all the time, we just try to tell God's stories of how God has changed our lives, how we met the grace and the mercy of God, and he shaped us. There came this point in this conversation in the taxi just even yesterday where the gentleman finally said, I said, I, I was kind of like, hey, things are getting tense. I'm going to change the subject. And I said, you know, hey, how do you feel about the Miami Heat? And how do you feel about Dwayne Wade coming back to Miami and whatever? And the guy starts going off. Like, he's mad. Like, well, I just think it's wrong what he did. You, you know, you spit in my face once. Don't you dare come back and try to make it okay again. Well, then I, all of a sudden I find myself like not so tired. I'm jumping into the conversation. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. Isn't that what we do to God all the time? Isn't that what we do to God when we turn our back on him, we deny him, we sin him, we sin against him? And then we come back and we don't want him to say, no, 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 you did that to me once, get out of here. We want him just to look at us and say, I love you. You're too important to me. I accept you. That's why as a church we say to celebrate, to celebrate means we love God. We love God. And we gather together to celebrate all that God has done. Well, church, if you were here that first week, and if you weren't, I'm just going to give you a quick review, 30 seconds or less. We talked about what would it be like for us to really lose it the way we do when sports teams win, right? What would happen for all of you who are still watching March Madness or it's just getting a start, you know, Big Ten tournament's been going on. What if your team goes all the way? Now, some of you told me, Matt, I'm not that guy. I just sit calmly. I'm like, yeah, but inside your heart's pounding. You might not let it out, but your heart's pounding. I want to give you some celebration for a minute that's going to leave your heart pounding, I hope. And if you're at all with me, would you just do me a favor and let it go, all right? There's going to be five minutes or less. Would you just let it go in here today? I'm going to let you in this section celebrate with each number. I'm going to ask you to save it another one. And this one, we're just going to go crazy. Ready? Here we go. Did you know last year, last year, 1,233 zero to fourth grade kids came here and were served by this church? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Now, out of that 1,233 kids, just in 2017 alone, did you know that there were 27 families who publicly said, we're going to raise our kids to know and love Jesus? That's what I'm talking about, right? Now, if you're using, like, football analogies, man, we just got, like, a bunch of first downs in a row. We got, like, 50 yards in the first one. This one, man, we just made it another 20 yards. We're looking at the end zone. We're not quite scored yet because, hey, they're here. We're loving them. We're planting seeds. You know, we're, we're working on tilling the ground. However, it's these next few where we get to see the harvest. It's this touchdown, the score. How about this? Did you know last year that there were 27 kids who received Christ and were baptized and follow up to that reception? We had over 100 kids just profess a faith, and they're still talking with their parents and with our youth leaders about going into the waters. Now, hang on. Here's one more for you. Did you know we had 43 students, that's teenagers, get baptized into Christ last year? <laughs> and what's beautiful in addition to that is that we had 47 adults receive Christ and be united with him in baptism last year. Now, what we don't want to do is we don't want to become a church who just gets people wet. We don't want to be a church that just has people stand up and raise their hand and say, yes, I received Jesus, and that's the end of it. Jesus made very clear before he went up to heaven, he said, go into all nations and make what? 
Come on now, go into all nations to make what? Disciples. Disciples means followers, not wetters. <laughs> Disciples aren't just people who go, yeah, in my heart I believe, and when I have time I'll make it. Disciples are people who go all in with Jesus. Disciples are people who say, you know what? This is worth my life because there's no greater power, there's no greater knowledge, there's no greater love than the love of my heavenly Father, and he gave everything for me, so in return, I'll give it to him. So it's not, an, yeah, you can clap for that, clap for that. It's not enough. It's not enough to simply show up and get wet. It's not enough to show up and tip your hat to God. It's not enough because it was never what Jesus was trying to create. This is what Kyle Eidelman was trying to get to when he wrote the book, Not a Fan. God wasn't trying to build a team of players called the staff or whatever, the elders, and everybody else sits in the stadium and cheers them on. He was trying to create one team, everybody on the field in their own way with their unique gift set, serving and joining God. That's why we celebrate that. Did you know this? In just the last two sessions of our membership class, we've had 60 people go through that class. 60. I don't know the current data point. The last time I looked it up, the average church size in America was right around 80. We've had 60 people just go through our membership class. That's not knocking any church anywhere. It's just what God is doing in and among us. But again, if all we do is gather together and celebrate the fact that some cross the line from no faith to faith, it would be a win, but it wouldn't be the, the biggest win, the only win. God did not simply call us to gather together only. He called us to gather together both big and small. That's why we don't just say that we love God, but we also are in community with each other, and we love others. Yeah, you can celebrate that. You're going to do a lot of celebrating today. You might as well get used to it. Your hands are going to hurt. Your throat will be raw. It'll be amazing, all right? Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 12. This guy asks him, what's the most important question? Jesus just goes ahead and says, but I can't leave you there. I can't just leave you and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've got to take you to the next level because if all you do is have a vertical love of God but never a horizontal love of others, then you really don't have a vertical love with God. That's why he goes on and he says in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. All right, so church, Remember this whole apple thing going on that's starting to brown? That didn't take long. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens, though. So if we were to measure your life, not just by do you have faith, but if we were to measure your life, is your faith being displayed by your love of others? Now, specifically, when we say we love others, we mean others in the church. This is consistent throughout Scripture. Even Paul says that, that he goes and he plants churches and pours into them first, but then he goes on. He also does the work of an evangelist. He tells us when we're giving our money generously, give first to the believer and then to the unbeliever because God's creating a new family here. We cannot simply take care of everybody else and ignore our own. We must take care of our own and then out of our generosity, stretch ourselves beyond that. So how's your life doing? Can God and the world tell that you are changed by how you live in community with other believers here at Kingsway? I meet so many people come to Kingsway and they tell me almost weekly, I wish I could capture their stories so you could hear the celebration points of how this church has changed their lives. And it's always attached to Rhett and the phenomenal job the worship team does on Sundays and my sermons. And I keep telling them, you're missing the, I'm not sure what I said that was so funny. <laughs> I wasn't saying my sermons were awesome, I was saying Rhett was awesome. Anyway, and, and the, the, it's almost always connected to what's happening in this room. 
But I'll tell you this, you'll become like one of those seeds that falls in the difficult places that I talked about two weeks ago if you don't finally take your faith beyond the big group gathering and get to the smaller. That's why when we gather together, we celebrate these kinds of things. I don't know if you know this or not. Did you know that we currently, currently in kids ministry alone have 293 volunteers? Let's just say thank you to all of them. 293 people on a regular basis show up so that you can worship God and hear a message from the Lord. 293. That's amazing to me. But it's not the end of the story. Did you know that currently we have 59 life groups? Let's, you're like, let's clap for that. 59 life groups. Now, depending on how often you go, maybe you don't know what a life group is. A life group is a group of Kingsway people who gather together during the week to take their faith into each other's lives. Let me just tell you up front, this is the most beneficial thing that you could do at Kingsway. Serving and connecting. The most beneficial things you do, but also sometimes the hardest. We believe that real transformation happens better in circles than it does in rows. You know what that means? Sitting here on Sunday morning, hearing a sermon is good. But you know you can go online and listen to about 50 guys who preach better than I do. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But when you get into somebody else's life and they can look at you and say, brother, sister, I love you, but you got this sharp edge to your heart that somebody needs to shave off, that God needs to work on. We prepped ourselves for weeks leading up to this mission trip to Peru so that when our, our ugliness was showing, we were ready to jump into each other's lives and say, I think you're tired, brother. Let me come alongside you. I think you're having a hard day, sister. Man, I was so proud. I think we talked about it so much and never really got a chance to happen. My missionary friends down there were amazing because they were like, we've never had a group that didn't have a stinker on their team. And your group literally didn't have one stinker. I think it's because we had 16. But I'm just saying, when you get into each other's lives and you finally bring down the walls, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you can put up a wall here on Sunday morning. You can act like something you're not. You can put forward a front that's not fully representative of who you are. But when you get in each other's lives, week in, week out, the ugliness starts to show. But imagine 59 groups. The average size of groups varies. But if we just say it's 10, I mean, that's like over 400 people, right? <laughs> no math at Bible college. That's roughly... 600 people who on a regular basis meet together and let each other in and share life and share food and do life together. How about one more? Did you know that just since September of last year, we've launched 12 new equipping groups. These groups are dedicated to going deeper in their understanding of the Bible and now we've got dedicated space that is literally, I just walked through because I've been out all week. We've got carpet in there. We've got paint on the walls. We've got baseboards in. And they're trying to figure out the right setups of the rooms over here to my left. You can go by and take a look at it later when they're done in the service. We've got all this new space so that when people show up on Sunday morning, they say, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to engage my neighbor with my faith. I don't know how to understand uh, what this text means or what this Bible means or whatever it is. We're here to equip them so they can go deeper in their faith and connect with others. We've already done this 12 times just since September. Isn't that amazing? Let's clap for that. But here's the thing, if that's it, if all we do is cross the line of faith and love each other, we'll become like most churches in America. 
I don't know if you know this, but there's been roughly three, depending on the stat you look at, roughly three to 4,000 churches in America that shut their doors every year for the last 20 or 25 years. Wow. Is that humbling? This church has been around, around 45 years. Praise God, we've never shut our doors. Three to 4,000 a year. And I think part of it is this reason. At some point, those churches crossed the line of faith. They came to that knowledge that God is God. And at some point, they started to invest in each other, but they stopped going beyond their own walls to the ends of the earth. And they simply started focusing on themselves. They got so concerned about making sure that the church was holy or different than the world that they stopped saying, you know what, but the gospel was the light and the darkness. It was a salt. That was always the mission, never to stay collected among itself. That's why we say we believe in compassion, which means that we love the world. That's why so many of you, yeah, you can clap for that, but you can really clap for this. Just wait. Just, we'll save it. We'll save it. In that story in Mark, when Luke tells the same story, the man looks at Jesus, and he says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Remember, Jesus just got done saying, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbors as ourselves. And this guy now, he wants to know, okay, now wait a minute. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm off the hook. He's trying to justify himself with what it says. So who is my neighbor? Jesus goes on and tells one of the most convicting stories in the entire New Testament. He tells a story about a man who gets beat up and robbed and left on the side of the road to die. Three different people come walking by. The first two simply ignore him, and they are the religious elite of the day. The best of the best of the best. Everybody on the outside looking at their lives would have looked and said, these guys have got it morally put together. They are holier than everybody else. When God looks at them, he's going to pat them on the back and say, well done, good and faithful. But then a third man comes along, and he's a Samaritan, a Samaritan you may not understand why that's a big deal, but in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. It was racism of the worst kind. But the Samaritan stopped and he cared for him. The Samaritan put him on his own donkey, took him to a local inn, paid the innkeeper to care for him, to feed him, to make sure that all of his wounds were taken care of. And he said, when I come back through here in about a month or so, if you have any more expenses, I will pay them in full. And Jesus goes on, Luke chapter 10, verse 36 he looks at this man now and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, then go and do likewise. So church, we are always going to be about compassion, loving the world. This is why we support Care India and their desire to raise up a boys and a girls home where these kids who don't have families who can care for them could come and be fed and educated and learn the Bible. This is why when Care India said, we want to start a program and put uh, backpacks with education materials and clothes on girls so that they don't have to get traded into the human trafficking industry. And we've watched that ministry climb from 500 to 700 to 1,000. And the goal was to get to 5,000 by 2020. Did you know they reached 5,000 last year? For those of you who weren't here last week. They had to relook at their goal. 
This is why we support WWHO in Mexico that says, you know what? We're going to take care of the kids in our community, in our town, and make sure that they're cared for. We're going to launch a hospital in an area that has no hospital so that as we go out and do these clinics, people can come and get real care, real needs met here in our backyard. This is why we went down to Peru, and for a week we built an apartment. Or at least we started it. We didn't get to finish it. So that these kids who were raised in a home, who have been traumatized and, and sexually and physically abused and ripped from their parents by the government because their parents are not taking care of them. And when they finally graduate, they have nowhere else to go. They have no home to go back to. So we built them an apartment so they can move into the apartment and start to get on their feet and learn what it means to be an adult and not just get kicked out onto the streets, which is going to be their future. And it will open up beds so more kids in South America who have been traumatized can find a home. This is why we give money and send people to Sheltering Wings. Sheltering Wings has a vision not just to help women who've been abused and battered by their spouses, but now they're trying to figure out how do we launch programs and ministries in our community so that the husbands will stop abusing. Yeah, you can clap for that all day long. And you know, in 2017, we had 147 people go on a short-term mission trip. That's, that's practically double the size of the average church in America. That is amazing. Many of you know this, but last fall, we had over 500 people commit to going on one this year. Yeah. And already, already in 2018, we will have had 95 people go on a mission trip at just the first block, which I believe is the first four months of the year. That's India, Peru, Mexico, Haiti, Dominican Republic, and Diamond Willow, which is in South Dakota. Already, we're, we're going to blow away last year's number. Now, you're, you're getting tired of clapping, so we got to get back to some clapping, right? Let's get back to that first initial celebration as we move on. Did you know that over the last three years, we gave $2,467,766 to national, local, and international missions organizations? <laughs> That is a mind-boggling number, isn't it? I like to look at other churches' reports and see what they're doing. And I, this, is, this, is, this is not a uh, contest about who did better. One of the largest churches in the United States about five years ago was celebrating that they gave away a million dollars. One of the largest churches in the United States celebrated that. I looked down at our budget line and went, well, we did that last year. They're, they were literally almost, almost 20 times our size. Just to give idea of how, yeah, you praise God all day long for that. Yeah. So you know what? We make sacrifices. We don't always have the newest carpet. We'd love to replace that, amen? We don't always have uh, the best of everything here, but because we want to make sure that we are doing our job to have compassion to the ends of the earth. Now, I got lots to say still and not a lot of time, so I got to keep going, all right? I'm going to keep going, but I wanted you to see this. In Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, if you're opening your Bible, turn with me to verse 31. Jesus says this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch 
and its branches. If you were to read Matthew 13, what you would see is story after story after story after story after story after story after story of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, the church itself. So don't miss, when he gets to this part here, towards the end of Matthew 13, simply what he's saying is, if I take even just the smallest seed in the garden of all the garden plants, and I put it in the ground, if it succeeds in doing what it's supposed to do, when it grows up, it provides this significant thing to the world. This thing that everybody's looking for. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know in Hendricks County, there are, according to the 2016 data, 160,610 people in Hendricks County. Wow. That represents roughly 10% growth over the last six years. I've been here eight and a half years. So since I got here, there's been a little over 10% growth in our community. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a national statistic. When you look at national statistics, it may not be specific for your community. You know, if you go to New York, it might be different. If you go to L.A., it might be different. But this just gives you, this is an average of the nation, okay? But it's important because whether it's 100% accurate or just somewhat close, did you know that in America today, 83% of Americans claim they do not have a church home? That doesn't mean they don't say they're Christian. That doesn't mean they don't say they love God. It just simply means that they are not connected in any significant way. Where's their hope coming from? Just in our community, there have been 6,000 new homes in the last five years. So if you were just to break it down, and you're on averages here, right? The averages say there are 4,800 kids in these homes. Do you know where we get that? Basically, that for every 100 homes, the statistics say in our community, for every 100 homes, there are about 80 kids. We pulled all of these off of government websites. I'm not making this stuff up. They say 85% of all statistics are made up on the spot. These are not. (laughs) Do you realize how many kids that is? So of the 1,200 and whatever the exact number was, 33, whatever, who came here last year, that's not enough. You know why it's not enough? Because studies show that, and there's two different studies, they give different numbers, so it's hard to know, depending on what question you ask, you get a different answer. But between 75 and 83% of Americans accept Jesus Christ by the time they are 21 years old. And of that, 75 to 83% of all those people 50% come by the time they're 13. So church, if I say nothing else, and I got more to say, right? You know me. But if I say nothing else, where should we plant our seeds? And our children. In fact, George Barna goes on and actually says this. George Barna Barna is a Christian statistician. He says this. The research indicates that the age at which a person accepts Christ as Savior is related to various attributes of their spiritual life. People who become Christian before their teen years are more likely than those who are converted when older to remain absolutely committed to Christianity. If we want to make the best disciples, not just the most disciples, then where are we going to target? Children. 
Anybody who's been here for a length of time knows I've been saying this eight and a half years, haven't I? And for some reason, in my early years, I got a lot of people frustrated because they thought what I was saying is, you don't have a place at Kingsway anymore. I'm not saying that. I've never said that. What I'm saying is, you have a significant place because kids in our community need you. They need you. Because they need hope. What's it like to get up every day and not know God loves you? What's it like to get up every day and go to school and not know if a guy with a gun is going to show up today? And to know that if he does show up, you don't know what happens after that. And here's the thing. Of those 200 and I think it was 93 people who serve in kids' ministry on a regular basis, not every Sunday, but on a regular basis, did you know that number is short significantly of where we need it to be? Today, today we could use easily 50 new kids' ministry volunteers. Today. We could easily use 10 to 15 more student ministry volunteers, and that's just two of the many, 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 many ministries we have. But see, what happens in a large church is you show up, and what goes through your mind is, look at all these people. They have all their needs met. It's not true. It makes me wonder if God were to open the floodgates on Easter and 500, 1,000 more people showed up. And they were so moved by what they experienced on Easter Sunday. When they come back the next week, would they walk away after that, finding that we don't have enough people to love them? And when we say we love God, we love life change. But if they show up and they don't ever meet that love because it's crazy chaotic, do you know where they're going to go? Back home with the other 83%. That's why this Sunday is so important for you to wrestle with. That's also why, by the way, that we are in, this is like the worst kept secret in Avon, so if you've heard it, I'm just going to put it out there. We are working with some really big players in our community right now, trying to figure out how do we take those uh, 40 acres or so that are out there, that are empty, and develop them. We're currently talking about how do we put soccer fields and baseball fields and football fields, and yeah, our school's going to get to use them, and our youth ministry is going to get to use them, but they're going to be for our community. So that our community knows when they come here, there's a church that actually used their land and leveraged their land for us. We've, I don't know how the rumor's getting out. We start having like internal dreaming conversations. We find out the number it's going to take. It's like, how in the world are we going to afford that? And God starts bringing people our way. People are calling and saying, hey, can we book that? We're like, we don't even have plans. Like, we aren't, we, we, how do you mean book it? Like, how much are you willing to pay? Um, When I first got this idea first came to me from my friend Ben Bullard, and he said it to me, and, and, and I said, Ben, I don't know, like, what, what if God has other plans for that land? He said, Pastor, he said, we haven't used that land in 30 years. He said, so let's say Jesus comes back at the end of this year, and we haven't done anything with it because we keep waiting for God to show up or God something to happen, and God comes back, and it's a parable of talents, Matthew 25, and he says, what'd you do with what I gave you? So well, I kept waiting for something to happen. You remember that servant, how that went? You don't know the story. There's these three people. When God gives five talents to one, he says, what'd you do? He says, I doubled it. And he says, well done. Three talents to another, what'd you do? I doubled it. Well done. He gave, goes to the guy with one talent. What'd you do with what I gave you? I buried it in the ground because I know you're a hard man. I know you reap where you have not sown. Do you know what that means? That means that the more I play it safe, means I don't trust that God's going to do something radical with whatever I give him. Jesus looks at the guy and he says, you'd have been better off to put my investment with the bank. At least you'd have gotten some return on what I gave you. In other words, the only way, the only way you can fail with God is to do nothing. That's the only way you can fail. So every time you have an opportunity to do something, you're better off to take a chance and lose than to stand before your master on the last day and say, I took no chances because I know you're a hard man. 
If you know I'm a hard man, then why did you not take chances? Do you think I would not honor faith? This is why I keep saying, church, God will never waste a sacrifice. Because every sacrifice is an opportunity to show faith. It's a chance to step out and say, I believe my master, my creator, has something in store. And I know he reaps or he's never even sown. He's never planted a seed. So all I have to do is put the seed in the ground and then watch how fast it grows. But that's not it. Our community doesn't just need connection. Or doesn't just need hope. They need connection. This one's going to blow your mind. Did you know that in America today, the average adult spends 12 hours and 7 minutes consuming media? And you're like, that doesn't mathematically work out, Pastor. Well, there's some overlap there. So while watching TV, they're also playing on their iPad. Okay, who does this? I got both hands up. My wife looked at me the other day. She says, Matt, we're watching a movie with the kids. Can you just put your iPad down? I'm like, well, it's just a kid's movie. We're sitting here together. She goes, you're not with them. You're somewhere else. Thinking about something else, working on something else. I'm like, but it's a kid's movie. I've seen it like a million times. I can quote it. So can they. It's not about that. But see, the average adult today is desperately trying to find a place where they can connect. So they're living on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. Kids are the same ways. We all know it, right? We talk about it all the time. We as Christians struggle with it. So if the church is the one place where people could come and meet love and find love and be love, we've got the answer to the problem. I don't know if you know this or not, but in Indiana alone, 19.8% of teenagers consider suicide. It's easy to go, well, that must be in Indianapolis. That must be up in Gary. They're depressed people. It's Indiana-wide. I mean, it's kids at Avon High and Avon Middle School. God forbid it might be kids at Kingsway Christian School. I don't know. I hope not. Do you know that studies say one-fifth, one-fifth of all adults regularly or often feel lonely. Do you get why it's so important that we love others, that when they show up, there's an army of people serving them? So when they walk in the doors, they see faces that go, welcome to Kingsway, we're glad you're here. Because apart from Chick-fil-A, where else are they hearing that today? That's why it's important when when our volunteers are sitting in kids' ministry, they're standing at that counter and they're going, welcome to Kingsway. We love your kids here. This is why it's so important when your teenagers come on Sunday night that they meet a group of people committed to them. Are teenagers difficult? Anybody with a teenager say amen. 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 And we love them. We love them just like somebody at some point loved us. This is why it's important that we launch, we we need 20, 30, 50 more leaders, leaders, so that we can double the number of our life groups. You know, last last time I spoke, two weeks ago, I heard people come up to me say, Pastor, when you prayed at the end of the service that God would would raise up some leaders, I, I I think God's telling me I need to do that. I'm like, then do it now. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking about it. Do it. But, Pastor, I'm really, really close to other people in my church. I know we want to love others. We need to love others. But if we don't figure this out, if we don't make some more leaders that can lead more groups, you know what's going to happen? People are going to show up and not meet the love of God, and they'll go home. But not only that, church. Not only that. 
But everybody in this world is looking for this thing. Purpose. Why on earth am I here? Why did God make me? What's my role in the world? Right? It's the number one question I've gotten since I became a pastor. And it's from kids. It's from students. It's from people graduating. It's from adults. Why am I here? And we've got the answer to the problem. God put you here to imprint on your heart his love so that your love through you, God would serve and change the world. But it's not going to be easy. When we gathered our team together to go Peru, there literally was an earthquake in Arequipa. By God's grace, it didn't do much to the home where we went. My team was a little anxious. There's three volcanoes outside of Arequipa. Two are dormant. One's active. We, on our trip, we ended up on this fun adventure. And, and there was a, a whitewater rafting. And yes, he'd go on a mission trip with me. And we went whitewater rafting. And uh, we're on this trip, and the guy's talking about the volcanoes and how one of them's still active. I said, well, when are they predicting again? He said, well, they predicted it'll explode every 400 years. I said, when was the last time? He said, 500 years ago. <laughs> I said, oh. But I already knew that. My team knew that. Because they knew the opportunity for something tragic and crazy to happen was right there in front of them. But you know what? It's worth it. Because Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He died on a cross. Did he run from pain? No. This is why families all over our church are adopting and getting into the foster care business ministry. Why? Is it going to be hard? Oh, yeah. Bring somebody else into your home environment who's been extremely traumatized and tell me if that's going to blow up your home. Of course it is. But you know what else blows up trauma? Love. Yeah, you can clap for that. And we are a group of people who gather together to let the world know we love you. I love this little thing. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Ernest Shackleton's little documentary about the journey to the South Pole. Ernest Shackleton was trying to be the first one to get to the South Pole. There's great books, written articles, videos, movies. You can watch them all on YouTube or anywhere else. But in order to recruit the group that was going to go with him to go to this thing, it's going to be extremely dangerous. They may not succeed. They may all die. But he put in the London newspaper, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. And then he closed his little blurb with honor and recognition in case of success. Men responded to Shackleton's advertisement in droves. He had to turn people away. Why? Because, let's be honest, we're not afraid to die. If we know what it is we're giving our life to, if we know what it is we're investing our time and our talents and our energy is, we're not afraid to do it. There's meaning, there's value, there's purpose in it. And the problem for most of us Americans is that we've lost meaning, we've lost value, we've lost purpose. And so we buy bigger houses and nicer cars and more clothes and it never scratches the itch. And we wonder why our lives feel so purposeless. But church, there's more to do. There's more to do. There's more to do.
This is why we as a church believe God is calling us to go multi-site. And I know a lot of you don't know what that means yet, but we're going to talk about it more and more and more. Because if you don't know what the lid is, there's always a lid on every organization. A lot of times it's the leader. So I'm trying to raise my lid up. I'm trying to raise up Brett Cadwell's. I'm trying to raise up Todd Allen's. I'm trying to raise up even Brett Morehouse's. He's doing it here. This is why we've got more and more staff and people we're trying to raise up. We've got to lift our lid. If we don't lift the lid, then, then there'll always be a cap. But did you know this? Tenth of Dan Jones is a cap. Can you imagine 8,000 people coming to church on 10th of Dan Jones? You can't hardly get in the parking lot as it is. But the gospel's not going to ever stop. So we're talking about how do we take this and put it over in West Plainfield, where they're talking about like 10,000 people over the next five years going into new homes. Yeah, we're talking about it. We don't know, but we're talking about it. We're talking about how do we go into Indianapolis where there are less churches and the gospel isn't thriving. How do we do that? How do we go out past Danville? How do we take what God's doing here, all those great celebration things, and multiply it to the ends of the earth? And the answer, the only answer is this. It's going to take all of us together going all in. Did you know? Did you know that right now 25% of Kingsway people give 75% of the budget? And it's not because they're richer than anybody else. A few years ago, we were going to do a building campaign before everything went bad in 2014. And in the middle of that, they looked at our data and said, you guys are not like any church in America we've seen. We said, really, why? They said, most churches have a few people up front. They give a ton of money. And if you can go to them, you can get a ton of money for a big campaign. You don't have that. You've got a huge base of people, like, like a bunch of people giving a, bunch, like a, a good chunk of money. They're not giving a ton of money. They're giving a good, solid amount of money. About 25% of our people give 75%. The problem is the other 75% of our people don't give any more than $1,600 a year. Now, for some of you, you're like, that's $1,600 a year, Pastor. What are you talking about? Oh, did you know the average, age, or the average income in Avon is somewhere around $65,000 a year? So if you just use a tithe as a standard... That means 75% of our people are way under what God is calling us to do. But what would happen? What would happen if there was a church on the corner of 10th and Dan Jones where everybody gathered together and said, you know what, I don't have to give what you give. You don't have to give what I give. I don't even have to know what you give. But I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to ask my heavenly father how to bring hope and connection and purpose into the world. And I'm going to connect that to my time and my treasure. My bank account is going to show the world I love them. What I do on Sunday morning is going to show the world I love them. So that on my last day, when he says, what would you do with what I gave you? My answer is going to be an emphatic, I am all in, God. I'm with you. You can have my life. You can have my family. You can have my treasure. I'm all in. But it's going to be hard, right? Because in order for that to happen, it's going to take a seed dying in the ground. It's going to take sacrifice. And I just want to know who's with me. Who's with me?
Jesus says, if any man, if any woman, any child wants to come after me, they have to what? Take up their cross yearly, monthly, daily, and die with me. So church, last week, Brett handed this out. If you weren't here, that's all right. It's not too late. We've got plenty of these. This little thing It's just, are you all in? Are you all in? Are you all in on loving God, loving others, and loving the world? Are you all in on celebration and community and compassion? And if so, we need to know how much. We're building our budget right now for next year. We're down 4% roughly from last year's budget. We built our budget based off the giving from the year before. We can't keep doing that. We can't be off by 4% from the year before because we're going to have to start making adjustments. So we just need to know, not just are you all in by clapping, not just are you all in by signing a piece of paper, but what are you all in so that we can build our ministries and build this church around what you're committing to. So we're asking everybody to grab one of these cards. If you didn't bring it with you, they're down front. There are baskets around, all around down here. They're going to put them out on the front of the stage right now. And I'm just asking you to be bold enough to write it down and come down here and tell us. Right now, we're going to sing. I need everybody to stand with me right now, right now. Stand with me. But don't tune me out yet. You're just simply going to say, here's who we are. Here's our family. We're all in. Pastor, Kingsway, church, community, you can count on me. We are in. You're going to put it in these baskets. You can fold it up. Nobody needs to know. It's your secrets between you and God, right? Just fold it up. Say, there you go. You can count on me. And here's the thing. When you leave here today, if you are all in with us, as you are walking out through that wall that someday in the very near future, I pray, is not going to exist anymore. When you walk out there, would you grab a marker and would you sign your name on the wall? There's two tables there. It's the white wall that you face when you walk right out these doors. You grab a pen. You grab your kids. You look them out of their classes. And you just write on that wall your name. And we're going to see those names for a while and just celebrate everybody that God has called to come and die with us. Now, let's sing to our king like he's coming back in the middle of this song. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, we're going to do better than that now. Come on. Good morning, church. Good morning. Much better. You're going to need that today because we're wrapping up our series on our core. We're looking at who we are as a church, who God has called us to be in this world, and we're going to have a lot, a lot of celebrations today. So remember, if you remember all the way back, if you weren't here, it's all right. Here's the five-second version to our first week. We're a church who celebrates, which means every time we talk about something God's done, we're going to go crazy, right? So we're going to practice real quick. On three, we're just going to go crazy. We're going to clap, we're going to cheer, we're going to whistle, holler, hoop, whatever you do. If you're not that person, for one day, would you just do me a favor? All right, just one day, all right? This is like March Madness, and somehow uh, IU or Purdue, whoever it is you root for, they get all the way there, and they win it, and you just go bonkers. Ready? On three, let's practice. One, two, three. Woo! Good. Now, what happened last service is it went like this. So we're going to see if you can beat last service. We're going to have a competition. Whoever wins gets to come back next week. <laughs> just kidding. 
So uh, I just got back last night at like midnight um, from Peru. It was a fantastic, fantastic week. Now here's the irony of that. So uh, two Sundays back when I spoke last, um, I did like literally two to four hours worth of research on apples and apple seeds. I wanted to know something. I was trying to, you were know, using this seed kind of analogy in this series. And so I did two to four hours worth of stuff only to find nothing that was beneficial. We finally arrive at the, in Arequipa, Peru, and uh, we get to the home and one of my friends, former students, is one of the missionaries there. His name's Matt. And uh, he looks at me and he starts telling me they planted apple trees. I'm like, dude, I just read all about apples. What kind did you plant? And he said, you know, ironically, and then he went on to tell me what Google couldn't tell me in two to four hours, he told me in 30 seconds. So for those of you who have green thumbs, I'm sorry that you probably already knew this. Here's what he said. Did you know if you take an apple, <clears throat> move this over here, and you pull out the seeds, plastic. It's the best I could afford right now. No, I'm kidding. If you take out one of these seeds and you plant it in the ground, did you know you actually don't know which kind of apple you're going to get? The, the seed inside the apple that just fell down there, not both of them, but look, there's more. The seed that's inside the apple, uh, is, is, it'll have some sort of connection back to whatever planted this apple, but you don't know until you put it in the ground and see what comes out of it. Now, I bet some of you didn't know that, like myself. I just saved you hours and hours and hours of research. Google doesn't know as much as you thought. However, here's what I do know. If you go plant this seed in the ground, you know what you won't get? An orange. <laughs> or a watermelon, or a pear, or an avocado. You're going to get what every time? An apple. That's why, did you know that Jesus actually goes on and says, you know you could tell a tree by its what? Fruit. Because the fruit of something displays for everybody else what it is. So you can put an apple seed in the ground and know that every time you're going to get an apple tree. You can put an orange seed in the ground and know every time you're going to get an orange tree. You can put a watermelon seed in the ground and every time you're going to get a watermelon. Yeah, you did. You, I almost got some of you. <laughs> Good luck with that tree. But the truth is. You're always going to get what you sow. That's what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. You sow evil, guess what you get? Evil. You sow good things, guess what you get? Good things. But a tree will always be identified by its fruit. This is why when you look at a church, you can tell what it is it's planting by what is being produced from the tree, from the seed. This is why, this is why, if you could hear only one thing in this entire series, if you could get just one, 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 one thing, it's this, it's this. Our purpose, our purpose is to become more like Christ. At the end of every year, we'll simply ask this question, did we become more like Christ this year? That is the greatest fruit from our lives that could come. If faith in Jesus is taking hold in our lives, that's what will happen. It'll happen in each of us individually. It'll happen in us collectively. So we want to do throughout this message today is just simply look at how are we doing? Are we producing the fruit that we would expect to be produced from the seeds that we're planting? Here's where we're going to start. Mark chapter 12. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it there. It's okay if you just want to follow on the TV or in the app online. If you're watching online, we just want to say welcome. We're glad you're with us today. Mark chapter 12. Uh, a guy comes up to Jesus, and he's a religious guy. He knows a lot about the Old Testament law. And he looks at Jesus. He says, all right, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws of all of those things that we need to do and not do. 
Which one's the most important, Jesus? And in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus says this. The most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Well, Jesus cheated a little bit. He stuck four rules in there, but the whole point is it's the rule of love. Now, where is this coming from? Go back to verse 29 for a minute. Again, there's hundreds and hundreds of these. Jesus goes in ancient Palestine to the Israelites. The Israelites are located in a community surrounded by a pantheon of gods. If you don't know what that means, they have a God for everything. A God of the sun, a God of the dead, a God of the war, a God of fertility, a God of everything. You name it, they got a God for everything. It's not dramatically different than in America today. In America, we have people who worship all kinds of things, sports, clothing, power, success, money, you name it, there's all kinds of things we worship. Now, what we tend to do in America is we tend to look up to the big guy upstairs, the all-powerful being thing, and we try to please him so he'll give us all those things we think we want and need to be happy in life. Jesus boils all that down and says, you need to know one thing. Above everything else, there is one God, one Lord. And when you surrender your life to him, it takes you somewhere. It leads you somewhere. And you can actually know if your life is surrendered to this one God. How can you know? Verse 30, do you love him? And not just do you love him, kind of, but do you really, really, really love him? Let's, let's just kind of look at verse 30 together. Love the Lord your God with all of your, say with me, hearts. And with all of your, say with me, soul. And with all of your mind. And with all of your, all together now, strength. Church, if somebody were to come and look at your life and analyze it step by step, could they say that the fruit of your faith is producing? That what's coming out of you is reflective of what's in you? Over the last 12 months, do you love God in your heart, soul, mind, and strength more than you did today? Or you did then, I should say. So here's how we know. We boil this down in basically three big categories, three big categories. Category number one is celebrate, celebrate. And what we said is this. We believe that Jesus came to launch a kingdom, a kingdom, a movement of people. And as that kingdom is going out, the light trumps the darkness, the salt brings flavor to where there's no salt. Uh, there are all these analogies you could go into in the Bible, but the whole point is we as a group of people, because we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are literally going into the places that need the good news of Jesus Christ, and we're fighting battles on his behalf. And then what we do is we gather together and tell God's stories on a regular basis. So what we want to do right now is just tell some God stories, and I hope you got your touchdown celebration hats on, because what we're just going to do is celebrate some places where we have gathered together to love God. God has conquered the darkness with his light. You ready? Number one, did you know that in 2017, there were 1,233 kids, just zero to fourth grade, who came here and got loved on by Kingsway people? That's amazing to me. Now, of that 1,233, inside that same number, we had 27 families who stood up and said, we dedicate to raising our kids in the love of God here at Kingsway. That's amazing. So of that same number again, last year, 
Now, let me give two-part stat, okay? First stat, don't clap. Second part, we'll clap. So we'll get it all together. We had over 100 kids dedicated at some point in our kids' ministry. Raised their hand. They stood up. They said, you know what? We're going to give Jesus our hearts and lives. And out of that, 27 of them have already been united with Christ in baptism. Is that not amazing? In addition to that, we've had 43 students, that would be our teenagers, like 5th through 12th grade, who gave their lives to Christ and were united with him in baptism in 2017. In addition to that, we had 47 adults also give their lives to Christ and be united with Jesus in baptism. Now, I've heard this stat move, and so this stat's not, maybe not up to date because the last I heard it was five years ago. I don't know what today's date is. But the average church size in America runs somewhere between like 75 and 90. Just do the math real quick on how many people we've had come to faith in Jesus Christ here at Kingsway just in one year. That is a glorious, glorious celebration. Now, that, yeah, we'll get one more. Hang on. We'll get, there's lots all day, right? Like, so in the last two sessions of our membership class, I don't know if you know this or not, we've had 60 people sign up to take our class. Isn't that amazing? So, church, are we winning? Absolutely we're winning. We are fighting darkness with light. We are redeeming that which is lost and bringing it to Jesus and saying, you need to know that God loves you. This is a church. If you're visiting with us today, it's just our chance to say, great job team, right? So you can visit with us. There's nothing arrogant. There's nothing prideful. We just love to see God win in people's lives. But here's the thing. You need to know this. God is not simply building fans, right? God is building followers. So when, right before Jesus goes up in heaven, he gathers the disciples together. He says, I want you to go into all nations and make disciples. That's what the word disciple means. It means follower. This is why the guy, Kyle Eidelman, pastor down at Southeast Christian Church, Louisville, Kentucky, great author, great pastor, great man, and he wrote this book called Not a Fan. And the whole point of the book was God's not looking to fill his stadium with people who just clap while the team does the work. And the team is, you know, the pastors and the teachers and maybe some elders and some of you who, who, who you know, really step up and give. No, no, no. God was building a team of players. Everyone's a player. And they all have a different gift. They all have a different personality and different styles and different margin, but they're all players on the team. That's why that's so important. We don't just want to get people wet. We want to change lives as people go all in with Jesus and love him with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength. But in that same conversation, Jesus looks at the same guy and he says, you ask me the greatest commandment and I tell you it's this, but I can't stop there. Because if you only have a vertical love, one that goes up to God, but never a horizontal love that goes out to others, then you really miss the heart of God. God is not simply looking for you to show up and tip your hat to him and say, well done, all good and powerful Oz. He wants you to love him in a way that impacts the way you interact with the world. That's why in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus goes on and he says this. Oh, by the way, the second is this. You know, interesting, the guy didn't ask him what's the second. The guy asked him what's the greatest commandment. Jesus simply knows you can't divorce these two commandments. They really are one. If I love God, then I love others. And he goes on, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. These, together. There's no commandment. There's no one commandment that's better than these because they're really one. I must start here, and then it goes there. That's why we've said here at Kingsway, we are all about community. And that's not, don't confuse this. That's not the world out there community. That's inside these walls. We've defined this as simply this. 
That means we love others. Again, going back to this apple analogy, is the seed that's planted in you showing that you love others? Did you know that the New Testament actually goes so far as to clarify, we must first love the believer and then the unbeliever? You may not have known that, but it's important because when we start talking about things like funds and resources and all these things, Paul clarifies, you know, you're in a difficult place, you don't have a lot of resources, he says, but First, take care of the believer, and then be generous and go beyond that to the unbeliever. But there's a priority. If we love God, we must love the family of God first. Here at Kingsway, let's see if we're winning or not. You ready? Did you know that right now there are 293 volunteers in our kids' ministry alone? Amazing. That's why every time you show up on a Sunday and you hand your child off and you can smile and come in here and worship because somebody else is loving your kids because they're committed to the community of Christ here called Kingsway. Did you know that we have 59 life groups at Kingsway going on right now? 59 life groups. Now, how do we know how many people are in those groups? Well, some of you aren't as consistent. Maybe you should be. But if you just say the average life group is, say, an average of 10, and, and some may be 6, and others may be 12 or 15, but if you say 10, that easily makes over 400 or so people. <laughs> no math at Bible college. I'm kidding. That makes almost 600. I, I don't know the exact number. Sometimes it's hard to tell. We're in the middle of changing our computer program, but that makes a huge, huge chunk of people at Kingsway who are committed to community together. Did you know that since September of last year, we've launched 12 new equipping groups? They're going to have their own dedicated space. I've been out a week. I showed up. There's carpet. There's baseboards. The lights are hung. And they're trying to figure out the dividers and figuring out the space so they can bring chairs in and get that room officially to them. Praise God. You go check it out before you leave today. But 12 have already launched. What's the purpose of these groups? It's to help people understand what to do with their faith. So when people come in the door and we celebrate, they've gone from death to life, lost to found. But now they're starting to wrestle with, well, how do I read my Bible? And what do I do with this? And how do I engage the world with this faith? And what do I do with questions about my faith? And, and I meet people who are suffering. And how do I love them and serve them? And we're putting together these classes in order to train people in how to take their faith into the world and to care as a believer which is really, really good transition to this. So the same guy in Mark 12 and Luke 10, same story, Luke 10. Luke gives us more of the story. He looks at Jesus, and in verse 29, he says this. It says this. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? You know, Jesus said you got to love your neighbor as the same way you love yourself. Okay, so uh, who is my neighbor, Jesus? I love that it tells us he wants to justify himself, because let's be honest, that's a lot of really what goes on in us, right? I'm going to do the bare minimum so I can look good enough. And Jesus goes on and he tells a powerful story. The story goes something like this. There was a man walking along the road and some robbers come up on him. They beat him up, take all his money, and leave him for dead on the side of the road. The next person to walk up is one of the religious elites of the day. They see the man and walk on by. Next guy comes up, another, another worker in the temple, religious guru, sees the man, crosses the other side of the road, and keeps on going. But then another man comes by, and this man's a Samaritan. How many of you guys have heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Most of you. 
You know how often it is, I I meet people who don't know Jesus, don't love Jesus, and they've heard this story before. That analogy, Good Samaritan, I love sports, in case you've been here for any length of time, you know that. I hear that analogy, Good Samaritan, used all the time in sports analogy, like conversations. It's so permeated our culture, but we don't understand the original context. And Jesus says this Good Samaritan walked by. Why is that important? Because the Good Samaritan and the Jews, they really didn't get along. They really, I mean, hate would be a strong and appropriate word. They literally hated each other. So much so that the, the Jewish people would actually go so far as to go around Samaria to avoid going through Samaria. So when Jesus tells a story, he picks the most unlikely of characters. Says, this guy, you would never expect to do anything at all. He stops. He cares for the man. He binds up his wounds. He gives him some water. He puts him on his own transportation. He takes him to a local inn. He cares for the man for the night. Then he tells the innkeeper, you care for him. Here's some money until he's healthy and back on his feet. When I come back through town, if your expenses go beyond what I'm giving you right now, I will pay for it personally personally. And then Jesus looks at the guy in Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 36, and he says this. So tell me, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, why don't you go and do the same? That's why we say, as a church, it's not enough to simply love God. It's not enough to simply love each other but we must also love the world. If our purpose is to become like Christ, then we must study his life and say, how do we do that? Now, here's the thing. You you can do these in many different ways as a church. What we do today, we may not do 10 years from now or five years from now because it's all about listening to the Spirit and just becoming more like Christ. And the more like Christ you become, the more he could say, now now love others this way. Now show love and compassion to the world in this way. And we're going to follow his lead. But the goal is to continue to live out these principles in everyday life. So how are we doing? Well, let's just see. In 2017, you ready? Ready to cheer again. Remember, don't, don't do what last service did if you want to come back next week. In 2017, we sent 147 people on short-term mission trips. Come on now. Yeah. Already in 2018, again, assuming nobody gets sick and dies before their trip leaves, we've already had a bunch of them go on. I just got back at midnight last night. Already we have 95 people going in the first block, which I think is the first four months of this year alone. That's India, Peru, Mexico, Haiti, Dominican Republic, and Diamond Willow, which is in South Dakota. Isn't that awesome? Now this one, this one's going to blow your mind. Not, I'm not going to set this one up, so don't put it up yet. All right, good. It's not up yet. This one's going to blow your mind. So I don't know, about five or seven years or so ago, I was listening to a podcast from one of my favorite pastors, great church, amazing church. I'm in no way saying anything bad about that church. And they were celebrating that that year their church gave about a, a million dollars away. And um, that church is somewhere between 15 and 20 times the size of Kingsway. And I was like, that's amazing. But then I looked down at our line And I found this. Did you know that over the last three years, we've given away $2,467,766? 
Now, that's been to missionaries, that's been to local partners, that's been to all kinds of things. That's been to scholarships, some of your kids for camp. It's money that is going out. And I tell you what, this is the thing we believe so much in this principle that we're willing to back it up with our money as a church. So consequently, you know what we don't always have? We don't always have the newest carpet. We'd love to get that. We're working on it, right? But it takes money and it takes time. We don't always have it. Have you ever noticed that there's some stains on the seats you're sitting on? It's because we haven't replaced them as maybe as often as we should have. We've got some roofs that need replaced and HVAC systems that are broken. That's why it's sometimes too hot in here <laughs> or too cold in here, depending on what time of the year it is. Because we've said we want to invest to the ends of the earth and making sure that the lost are found, that their needs are met. This is why we go into India and they say we need a boy's home and we need a girl's home. Because these boys are, don't have a safe place to go and get educated. We bring them in and they live at the home. And the girls who many times don't have families or their families just aren't healthy, they bring them in and they get educated. And every day they read their Bible, study Jesus. That's why when Carrie India came to us and said, we want to start a program called Save the Girl. We're going to give two sets of clothing and a backpack with education supplies to these girls in hopes to save them from the human trafficking problem going on in India. And now the government's coming to them and saying, can we get more? Can we get more? Can we get more? They had a goal, as you heard last week if you were here, but just in case you weren't, to reach 5,000 girls through Save the Girl program by 2020. They hit the mark already, and now they've raised it to 7,500. Yeah. This is why when I got to go to, to Mexico just a couple years ago and sit down with Esli and his wife and to hear their dreams about putting a hospital, and I went with them as they traveled from town to town to town doing uh, clinics, portable clinics, and I got to meet the local mayor, the mayor, as he sat down to, uh, to hear the dream for them wanting to build a hospital. And many of you have given generously because I want to put a hospital there to show compassion to people around the world. This is why we went to Peru last week with the 15 other people on on my team, and we build an apartment in Peru so that this, this home, this orphanage, these kids, when they graduate from high school, they aren't simply kicked out onto the streets. Many of them have been physically and sexually abused their whole lives, and they have no foster care system, so the government pulls them out of the home, and, 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 or puts them out of their home, and puts them in this home called New Hope Children's Home, but when they graduate, they have no families to go to, and so they're in danger of going right back onto the streets and being brutalized again, so we build an apartment so they could stay there and learn how to become an adult and get on their feet again. And it's because of your generosity and your time and your efforts and your energy that these things are happening all over the world. Give God the glory. But that's the past. I mean, literally, that's everything that's happened up to now. We have a, we have a group on, on mission right now, but that's everything that's happened as of to date, right? God's not finished with us yet. So we got to keep living these things out into the future. And here's the thing. Everybody, everybody in the world is looking for one thing. Do you know what that is? It's hope. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're five years old or, or 105 years old, does it? Every time I hear on the news about another school shooting, you could tell the difference between the believers and the unbelievers, right? 
That's not a knock. If you're sitting in here like, well, I don't, I, that statement offends me. I'm, look, I'm not trying to antagonize anybody. I'm just saying we live in a world that's questioned. Yesterday, um, <laughs> yesterday we had like a six-hour break in our, in our flight. So we landed in Miami, and I, there was like six or eight-hour, there's no math Bible college, break before our flight took off again. And so some of us got the crazy idea, let's, let's, let's get a taxi and go to South Beach. We're in Miami, right? Like, you want to sit in an airport or you want to sit on the beach? Exactly. So we took a taxi, and I'm in the taxi with Jason Ritchie and uh, Kathy Perry. And um, our taxi guy asks what we do. And as we each go around, and finally I tell my pastor, it was almost like game is on. Like, I, it, to me, I'm so used to dealing with this. And it felt like, oh, he wanted the whole car to know how he felt about God and the world and started telling about corruption in churches. And so I kind of just got on the defensive and shut down. Well, Kathy is like, well, no, we're here. We got a captive audience. So she just starts sharing the gospel with him. And uh, it was fun to just watch them kind of go back and forth. So you know the thing that was coming out of there the most is the, the hurt. This guy, I don't know his story, but he's been deeply wounded. As somebody who works with orphans and understands how to listen for words and listen for the heart, I'm listening to him talk, and there's clearly a deep pain there. At some point, I was like, I just want to change the subject. We're in Miami. Like, can we just talk about Miami? So I said, hey, what do you think of the Miami Heat? Miami Heat? They could be any good this year. You know, I'm just trying to change the subject. I'm trying to change the subject away from God. I'm a great pastor. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I said, what do you think about Dwayne Wade coming back? And he says something to the effect of, I'm not good with that. I'm not okay with that at all. You walked away from us, then you made a decision about how you're going to treat us, and that's what you get. And I just jumped in. And I said, you know, aren't you glad that God didn't do that to us, though? But aren't you glad that God didn't treat us the way that we treated him? Aren't you glad that when we pushed back and said, get out of my life, I don't have anything to do with you, he came after us. The Bible says while we were still his enemies, he died for us. Have you ever died for an enemy? Well, obviously now you're still here, right? You're sitting here. Okay, so then how do we die for our enemies? How do we become like Christ? Some may actually at some point in their life have that rare opportunity to die for an enemy. Most of us are going to die for an enemy by taking hope into their lives. It's like, I know you don't want to talk about this. I know this is offensive to you. I know you don't want to hear it. But here's what you need to know. God loves you. God loves you. Did you know? Did you know that there are right now roughly 160,610 people in Hendricks County? That's according to 2016, so my guess is it's gone up, not down. Part of the reason I'm guessing that is because there's been 10% growth in Hendricks County in six years. So I'm going to guess that number is higher by whatever percentage. I don't know, but that number is actually higher. Did that blow anybody's mind? Did you know Hendricks County was that big? I mean, like 95% of statistics are made up on the spot. But these are actually well-researched, Okay. By the way, I said 85% last service, so you can figure it out. But anyway, <laughs> now the reason that's important, the reason that's important is because I'm about to give you a data point, I'm about to give you a data point that represents a national statistic, statistic for Americans. And that's important because uh, it may or may not be 100% accurate for our community, but it's at least representative. So even if the number's a little lower, because I think I'm going to say most of you are going to go, well, there's no way that's right. Okay, then let's just adjust it 10%, 15% if, you know, 85% is made up on the spot. Anyway, whatever. Would it matter? Because here it is. That's really loud. I don't know what that is. 
Here we go. Did you know that 83% of Americans claim they do not have a church home? That doesn't mean they don't believe in God. That doesn't mean they're not cool with Jesus. That doesn't mean they wouldn't have a church home if somebody would invite them. It simply means they do not have a place that they would identify as their church home. 83%. And yet, in our backyard, there were 6,000 new homes in the past five years. Guess what they're all looking for? Now, did you know that in those 6,000 homes, that represents roughly, roughly 4,800 kids? Now, you may be saying to yourself, oh, how do you get that number? You just made that up, right? You just threw a dart at a wall because 20% of statistics are made up on the spot. Here's where we get it from. This actually all comes off Indiana government websites. We didn't make this stuff up. We didn't just grab a statistic and say, this sounds convicting. No, here it is. In our community, for every 100 homes, there are about 80 kids. So somebody on my staff did the math. It wasn't me. You could trust it. That's where we get that number. Does that blow anybody's mind? And you know what they're all looking for? They're all looking for one thing. What is it? When the next shooter comes into my school, it, God forbid, it be here in Avon, although I heard while I was out there was some sort of threat. And if he pulls the trigger, what happens next? And if my baby dies in birth, what happens next? And they just built a nursing home or, I don't know, maybe the wrong phrase, forgive me, retirement home right here across the street from us. And by the way, I just got told the land across the street sold also. They're talking about building one over there. And so when my mom or my my dad passes, where do they go? We have their answer. We have their answer that by the love of God, he did not leave us stuck in our sin, but instead said, while you are my enemy, I came to rescue you. I came to save you. We have their answer. Will they hear it from us? Will they see it in us? Here's one. Did you know this? And depending on where you go, I've seen two studies. They give two different numbers. And so I'm giving you the range of the numbers. I don't even care which number you pick. Either one, it's fine. Here it is. Did you know this? 75 to 83% of Americans accept Jesus Christ by the age of 21. Did you know that 50% of that, of that total number, 50% of all people accept Jesus Christ by the time they are 13? So church, if we want to show hope to the greatest percentage of people in our community, where should we put our investments? Now, I've been saying this for eight and a half years. If some of you have been here since I got here, there was one Sunday, we had all these grocery carts full of food, and it represented all the amount of time. Do you remember that? Some of you were here, you remember that? Now, I've been saying this for eight and a half years, and I have made a lot of people mad every time I say it. Because here's what I heard back. Pastor, that means you don't care about us because we don't have kids anymore. Or we never got married. Or we weren't able to have kids. Or our kids are grown. That is not at all what I'm saying. Not at all. It's the opposite. What I'm saying is, if we as a church want to show the love of God to a world that needs hope, then we need to put our investment in the community God's put us in. And the community God's put us in is full of families with kids and teenagers. 
And so it means us coming together and saying, I'm going to die for that. Yes, maybe I don't get any benefit because I don't have kids at that age. Or my kids moved to another town or community. But I'm going to die. And I'll never forget, I heard this one pastor say to his church, and I don't remember who it was, so he gets no credit. God knows, he'll give him credit. I remember him saying this. He stood up to his church and he said to everybody whose kids have moved out, anybody who might be feeling that way, and he said, listen, don't you want a church in your kid's community willing to die so that your kids and your grandkids might meet the hope of God in Jesus? And they all went, yes. And he said, then they need you here. You can't control what they do there, but you can die for them here. George Barnett goes so far, he goes on and he says this. The research indicates that the age at which a person accepts Christ as Savior is related to various attributes of their spiritual life. People who become Christian before their teen years are more likely than those who are converted when older to remain absolutely committed to Christianity. Do you get what George Barna is saying? If you get them when they're younger to go all in with Jesus, there's a better chance that they will stay all in with Jesus as they get older. Church, where does it make the most sense to invest our lives? And kids and teenagers all across Hendricks County. And if our community changes, our values don't change. We'll just go where God is and do whatever he's doing there. Yeah, you can clap for that. Matthew chapter 13. I want you to go home and read it later. I'm only going to give you a piece of it. But here's what Jesus does. He's getting towards the end of his ministry. His ministry lasted three and a half years, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead to fulfill the ministry and place it in us. And in Matthew 13, almost halfway through his book, Matthew 13, Jesus gathers everybody together, and he just goes story after story after story. You know what the church is going to look like? It's going to look like this. You know what the church is going to look like? It's going to look like this. Now, he doesn't call it the church because that phrase didn't mean much yet. He called it the kingdom of God. Here's what the kingdom of God is going to look like. It's going to look like this, like this, like this. And then he tells this powerful story about a seed, and he, but it's a mustard seed. I told you that. But here's what he says, Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. As I've told you before, Jesus loved to talk in parables, and part of the reason he did that is so that those who had ears to hear would understand, and those who didn't would be blinded by his truth. This one is actually really easy to get. It's not up there. That's George Barnard's quote. I jumped in my slides. They're up there going, we don't know where you are. Go back about five slides. You'll find it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. There we go. 32. Perfect. So what you'll see is in this analogy is beautiful what Jesus is saying. So if he plants a seed in the ground and the seed becomes what it's supposed to become, this mustard seed becomes, it is the largest of all garden plants. And the birds, what do birds do? They eat seeds. But the birds will actually come and rest in its branches. The very things that ought to be pecking and destroying the thing instead will come and find rest, or what you might say is find hope in its presence. Oh, wow, did you just get that? What the church is supposed to be is the hope of the world so that when people who are far from God and hurting and longing to understand why, that question why, when they show up, they find it in our midst. Church, did you know 
that of those 293 children's ministry volunteers, which we all celebrated, we're short. 50 to 60 kids' ministry alone. Not to count 10 or 15 student ministry and however many else. We go ministry of ministry, volunteers today. So if that 160,000 people of which say 83% do not have a church home, let's say God decides on Easter Sunday this year to bring 500 or 1,000 of them here. Would they meet the love of Jesus? If they show up to a room that's chaotic because there aren't enough adults to kids' ratios. If they show up, would they feel blessed if their number gets put up on the screen because they literally just can't handle the chaos? So if we need even just 50 to survive as we are, can God send us any more? See, in leadership, we're always talking about lifting the lid. If you've ever read John Maxwell's great book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, he talks about the law of the lid. This is why I'm trying to always lift my lid. It's why I'm putting Brett Cadwell and Todd Allen and Darren Simpson on stage. Just some of you go, well, Pastor, we just love to hear from you. Yeah, but I will always be the lid. And if I get hit by the ice cream truck one day, it's the way I want to go, then, <laughs> then there's going to be a huge lid for Kingsway until they can figure out who to hire next to bring in to move this thing forward. If it's about me, it's always going to be a lid. But if it's about Jesus and his gospel taking root in our hearts, then we could put anybody on the stage here and they could bring the seed of God's word and it'll change lives. But that's true in kids' ministry and student ministry and our communion ministry and our worship ministry. And the list goes on and on and on. Church, will the world find rest in our branches? Only, only if we all go in together. But how about this one? I don't think that the world is just looking for hope. I think the world is looking for connection. I mean, you are, right? I mean, I meet Christians all the time, especially the ones who aren't in those life groups who just feel like they're on the outside looking in. They're struggling to find their place. Some of these are going to blow you away. But these are researched statistics. I'm not making them up, all right? Did you know that the average adult in America spends 12 hours and 7 minutes a day consuming media? That's a lot. Now you're like, no, wait a minute. If you wake up at 6, 12 hours, 7 minutes takes you till 7. It gives you like 3 hours to eat and watch TV. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't work. Um... How do you get to 12 hours, 7 minutes? Well, the studies show that most people are doing two at the same time. So while they're listening to the radio, they're playing on their phone. While they're watching TV, they're on their phone. The other day, my wife says to me, she goes, Matt, can you just put your iPad down? I'm, like, well, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get this stuff done. I got I to gotta get this done before I da, da, da. She goes, Matt, we're watching a movie as a family. I'm like, yeah, but I've seen it like a billion times. I could quote it. She goes, it's not the point. You're sitting next to your kids on the couch, and you're not with them. You're not engaged with them. You're doing this. And everybody in the room went, you have my wife. <laughs> but this is the world we live in, right? Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Google, ESPN, name it. We are all desperately searching for connection and connectivity. And yet, who's got the answer? We do. When the church is the church and the seed of Christ is taking root in your hearts and you are literally connected with each other the way Jesus always dreamt that it would be, the way he planned it would be, the church is the most beautiful and difficult and complicated place in the world then. 
Because you can actually get beyond Sunday morning and engage in people's lives together. Did you know you will grow more sitting in a row than you will sitting in a circle, I said that wrong, than sitting in a row? You will grow more face-to-face with another believer where you have to show them your ugly side and let them love you through it. See, when you're in a group with someone else, you're serving alongside someone else, sooner or later the ugly comes out of you because what's in you comes out of you. You can't avoid it. You can't hide it. You can't run from it. Sooner or later it comes out. And when you're with people who've embraced the gospel, their lives have been changed, they don't judge you for it. That dude in the taxi I was telling you about, he's like, you know my problem with Christians? I could have filled in the blank. It's the same problem everybody has with Christians. They're judgmental. They're condemning. They're whatever. And we're trying to tell them, you know, but what, what if there were a group of people who weren't that way? What if there were a group of people who've been so changed by the love of God that their lives reflect the gospel and they're not afraid to give it to you? They're not afraid to share it with you. Did you know that one out of five adults in America regularly feel lonely? That's like, that's like somebody coming to you and saying, I know what I'm going to do. I got cancer. And you're saying, oh, I have this drug. I have this miracle drug. It'll fix the problem. Well, can I have it? No. Well, what do you mean I can't have it? Well, it's for me in case I need it. But here's the thing, church. Don't, don't miss this. I meet Kingsway people all the time who tell me I love my life group so much. How could I ever step outside of this group that I love and launch a new group? I say, because you are the hope of the world. You've got the story of Jesus in you. All we need is 30 people to step up and say, I'll lead a life group. But you're not willing to walk away from what you have, what's feeding you, to feed someone else. Two weeks ago, I prayed to close the service. I didn't plan on saying it. I didn't plan on praying it. I just kind of prayed, God, would you raise up 30 new leaders and then bring us the people to fill those groups? And I keep meeting people. Even on my trip, some people said, man, you convicted us. We're, we're trying to figure out how to make that happen. And here's what I would say. If that's you, if you're sitting in the room, feel, you feel the tug of God on your heart, would you stop talking about it and do it? Stop talking about it and do it. Because the longer we wait, the, lo- the bigger the lid. God can't bring us 500 new people until we're ready for them. Because he's not going to waste it here. He's going to take them somewhere where they're ready. Did you know this? In Indiana, 19.8% of teenagers have considered suicide. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for a safe place to belong. Somebody who's going to walk with them through life and say, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers, but I know this. I love you. I love you. Don't quit. We've got the answer for what the world is looking for. We just have to give it to them. How about this one? There's one question I've been asked more than any since I became a pastor 20 years ago. And yes, I'm that old. What's my purpose in life? What does God want to do with me? What am I supposed to be when I grow up? 
Did you know in many parts of the world, nobody asks what they're supposed to do when they grow up because they're in survival mode. They're just trying to make it through today. But when they finally get to a healthy place and they can think beyond today and they can start to look to their future, they all ask the same question. What am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here? We have the answer. We exist to be the love of God to the world. We exist to love and to serve and to give selflessly to a world that desperately needs to know that they're not alone, that they're not an accident, that they didn't evolve from an ape somewhere. But instead, the hand of Almighty God made them in his image. And that they have a profound purpose on his planet. But you know what? That's not easy. It's not easy. It's going to take a group of people coming together and saying, I'm willing to die so that the world can know that. I'm willing to make my purpose God's purpose so that I could be a seed planted in the ground. And the fruit of my life will let the world know God loves But here's the thing. Did you know that 25% of Kingsway people give 75% of the budget? We just did an in-depth financial study. Let that sink in for a minute. A few years ago, we had some uh, capital campaign plans. We're going to build some stuff, and uh, things went through a hard season as a church, right? Anybody was here stuck through? You know, it was a hard season. In that season, these campaign advisors came in, and here's what they told me. It was interesting. He said, you're unlike any church we've ever seen. Most churches have, say, five or so people on the front end. They make a lot of money, and they've chosen this church as their home, and they're very generous. And you can go to them and say, hey, would you consider for two years giving extra money? And they usually could carry a fourth or a half or whatever it is of the project, and then everybody else just has to come in and fill in the back half. You don't have that which in some ways is really good and healthy. He said, instead what you have is you have like 25% of your people who are really invested here. They love this place. They give to it generously. It's just that you don't have a few really big givers. The other side of that is, did you know that 50% of our people give less than $1,600 in a year? Which you may be sitting there saying, Pastor, I have 1,600 bucks. I'm not giving it anywhere else. No, 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 please don't hear me saying I'm not thankful. I'm just saying if our community statistics are right and the average person in our community makes $65,000, that's nowhere near 10%. And last year, our budget was off by 4%. And we're in our budget planning for next year, and we're trying to figure out, so what are we going to cut back on? What mission or ministry are we going to cut back on? Because we can't spend money we don't have. This is why last week, Brett Cadwell gave out a card to you. I was in Peru But he said, would you pray about dying with us, going all in with us? And would you actually write down the number you're committed to give over the next 52 weeks? And you're just going to step out in faith and say, I believe this is what God's calling me to give. I feel the burden of being up here. I don't want that 25% to say, well, we better give more. Maybe. I mean, I don't know you. If that's what God's telling you to do, you need to do it. But that 25% is already carrying the weight. 25% is already doing most of the serving. 25% is already doing most of the giving. 25% are here on a regular basis. It's the other 75%. If I could just get some of you to choose to die with us, we'll change this world. We'll finish that hospital in Mexico. We'll build a second children's home in Peru so they don't have to keep turning kids away who've been raped and beaten. We'll build another site Somewhere in Plainfield or Indianapolis or out past Danville. Those are the places we've looked at. 
Because there's a lid here, and the lid is 10th of Dan Jones. Could you imagine 8,000 people coming to this church? I can't. You can't hardly get in the parking lot as it is. How are you going to get more people in here? The only way we're going to get more people in here is we go to the people. And we say, you know what? You need a church in your community who loves God, loves others, and will love you. So we're looking at multi-site. One of the worst kept secrets in Avon right now is we are talking to some major community partners. I'm not allowed to say their names. But we're looking at how do we develop those four or those 40 acres or so out there? How do we develop them and get the community to know we love them and can use our property? We're talking about soccer fields, football fields, baseball fields. Yes, our school will use them. Yes, our ministries will use them. But they'll be open to the community. I don't even know how this rumor got out because we're so early in the process. We don't even have contracts in place yet. So that's why I'm allowed to talk about it. But we've had people calling us saying, can I go ahead and schedule that? Like there isn't a that. There's nothing to schedule. <laughs> but what are you willing to pay? I'm just kidding. We've actually got dreams to build an inclusive playground on our property. If you don't know what that is, it's for handicapped kids. It's just that it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've already got somebody willing to write a big check. It's just not enough yet. My dream, and it's just a dream, and I'm saying it now, so I've got to be careful I don't speak it into reality because the team may want to go a different way. You know, lid, I'm not the only one who makes decisions. My dream is to build one, get one free. You build one here, you get one in Mexico. Or you build one here, you get one in Peru. And so we raise enough money not just to do it here, but to do it there. Because, yeah, you can clap for that. Because I want to be a group of people who we get before our Heavenly Father. We hear him say those beautiful words. I've been saying it all week to my Peru team. I don't even know if they knew I was doing it. Well done. Well done. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from something called the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And, and Jesus tells a story. He says, a master is going to be gone a long time, but one day he shows up to give an account to his people. He's got three employees. And one of them, he gives five talents. He said, what would you do with what I gave you? He said, I went and invested your five talents, and I brought you five more. And the master looks at him and says, well done. And Luke's telling of the story. I think it's in Luke 12. Uh, the master looks at him and says, you were faithful with the little things. I'm going to put you in charge of cities now. Whoa. My faithfulness here today gives me more responsibility in heaven because God knows he can trust me. The next servant, I gave you three talents. What'd you do? I worked hard, master. I doubled what you gave me. He gets to the one with one talent and he says, what'd you do? And he says this, don't miss this. He says, I know you're a hard master. I know that you actually reap where you've never sown. Okay, I'm not a farmer. Is that possible? Of course not. You cannot get an apple tree where an apple seed has never been planted. It doesn't work. But yet this guy looks at the master and says, I know that you do that. Somehow you grow trees in places where there were no seeds. How? Well, because he has enough knowledge to understand his father's heart. I understand that you're a God who doesn't actually have to send a missionary out. You could just have the gospel show up and people come to faith. So what do we learn from this servant? We learn that the worst thing we could do is nothing with what God gave us. He says, you would have been better off to take what I gave you and invest it with the banker. At least you would have got some return on the investment I gave you. But instead, you buried it in the ground, did nothing. You gave me no chance to show off. And he said, take that one talent from him. You give it to the one I gave five to. He's already proved himself worthy. And to the other two, he says, well done. Well done. That's why when Ben Bullard came to me with his dream to do the sports fields out there, I went, Ben, I don't know, man. Like, what if God wants to blow this thing up here and, like, make it bigger? He said, Pastor, we've had that land over 30 years, 30 years. Let's say Jesus comes back at the end of 2017, and he says, what would you do with what I gave you? Are you going to look at him and say, well, I know you're a hard master. 
And just in case you ever decided to blow this thing up and do something out there, I wanted you to know that I was waiting on you. And I went, why'd you have to bring the Bible into it? (laughs) I was convicted to my core. We're better off to put our seeds in the ground to take a chance with God and see what he has for us than do nothing and play it safe. But there's no me, right? I'm a pastor, but if you all leave, I got no job. There's no Kingsway. You realize we could literally change the name and this would still exist. There's no building. If it burns down tomorrow, the church still exists because the church is what? It's you and it's me together saying, let's go produce some fruit for our king. Let's just go all in. Let's put our seeds in the ground and see what he could do with it. The only way to lose is to do nothing. That's why I love, I love, I love the way Hugh Holter says this. He says, God's mission is not for the faint of heart. God's mission is not for the faint of heart. <sighs> William Shackleton, if you guys, or sorry, Ernest Shackleton, if you know, if you know this guy, he, he, he made this journey to the South Pole to Antarctica. Except for that there was no benefit in coming. There was no money in going. At best, you were going to get a pat on the back if you did your job well. And at worst, you would die. And when he put into the London newspaper, here was how he recruited men to go on the trip with him. He said this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. And as history goes, people showed up in droves. He had to turn people away. What in the world would make anybody want to sign up for that? You know what it is? Purpose. You give me something worth dying for and I'll die tomorrow. But if not, then I'll die a little bit inside every day giving my life to something that has no meaning. And we live in a community of 160,000 people. The vast majority are doing that. And they just need to know, is there anything in life worth dying for? Because it's not the Colts, and it's not the Pacers, and it's not Eli Lilly, and it's not education. His name is Jesus, and he's the only one worth going all in on. So church, are you all in with me? And here's your chance to respond. If the answer is yes, then I need to see it. We need to see it. Because we need to know we're not alone. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. And we're going to sing this song. We're going to belt it out like our father's listening. And he is. Last week you were given a card. I took mine in. If you weren't here, that's fine. We got them here. You were given a card. There's going to be baskets up here on the stage. All this is is saying, I'm all in. I'm all in. 
Kingsway could count on me to celebrate, be community, and be compassion together. And you're just going to put your name on here and put your address on here. By the way, we just changed our computer system. This also helps us update your information, but that's not why we're doing it. We're doing this because it's time for us together to say we're not playing games. We're dying with our Savior. Jesus says, if any man wants to come after me, he must do what? Die. You're like, I don't remember reading that. Well, it's because he said, take up your cross and follow me, which is his way of saying, I'm going to die your turn. That's what it means to follow Jesus. There's no happy sit around and watch everybody else die version. If any man, any woman, any child wants to come after me, they must die. Now, how do you literally die? You probably won't. Instead, you're going to sacrifice every day of your life to serve God, serve others, and serve the world. That's what you're going to do. Now, I'm going to ask, while we sing this song, at some point during the song, you take your card. Again, if you need to fill it out, we got pens and paper down here. Everybody up top, come down here. We're going to be moving. And if it takes after the service, so what? I don't care if it takes an hour. We'll stick around, and we'll just love you together. And when you come down, you put this in here. Look, you're putting your financial data on here. Our budget is off 4% from last year. We built this last year's budget on the year before, and we don't know what to do. So we're trying to figure it out because we're in the budget planning process. We need a number from you. What can we count on from you? Write it down. Fold it up. Fold it as many times as you need to fold it. Keep it private. We don't need the world to know what you're giving. It's between you and God. But we got to count on a number. And when you leave here today, you're going to laugh and joke and high-five each other and tell stories. And you're going to go right outside this wall. And you see that wall that's out there that one day, by God's grace, is going to come down. Because I want the walls to come down. So we're going to open this up. You're going to write your name on that wall. And when you write your name on the wall, you're going to see a ton of other names from last service. And those names are all the Kingsway people saying, we're all in. You go to your kids' classes. Bring your kids in. You write their names on the wall. If they can't write, they can make a funny picture. I don't care. Put it on the wall. And let's celebrate together when we come in for the next few weeks. That this wall represents the movement of God in our hearts, in this church, in this community. Let's pray. Father, God, would you move in this place God, I pray that when we leave today, we literally cannot leave the way we came in. That God, some of us who know that we're in that 75% instead of the 25%, we aren't all in on our church. God, may we be so deeply convicted by your spirit that we must change to become what you're calling us to become. And God, for some of us who are all in, I pray that we are encouraged and inspired by the faith of those around us. God, I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be radical change. It's going to mean dropping something else in our life to invest in others. It's going to mean committing a week of vacation to go serve on a mission trip. It's going to mean not spending as much on ourselves, a bigger house or a bigger car or a bigger whatever, and instead putting our money behind your work and your kingdom on this earth. And God, I pray this is a spirit-driven thing, not from me. And God, change us. By the love of God, change us. It's for your name, for your glory, all your people pray and say, amen.